0: Uh, Let's turn now to, uh, in our bulletins, to the book of Mark here. Take a look at our text, Mark 11. Will you begin by um, speaking to me the words of Christ about how we are supposed to listen to the things he says. How does Christ tell us we should listen to his word? Anyone that has ears to hear, let them hear. Amen. We're going to read this text together, and um, my goal this morning is to bring out the issues of authority. The question of the problem, legitimacy question who has authority? Um, Christ has been for quite a while in the book and the narrative of Mark on a collision course with the religious authorities. It seems only it's inevitable, it seems. Uh, Christ and his authority is constantly too being tested. He has authority over wind and waves. He has authority over the demonic. He has authority over people's bodies. There's this cosmic authority over molecular (laughs) Activity and the atomic level of your body. I mean, uh, wind and waves obey him. Death in little children is shed off like, a, like an old coat. Uh, life of the leprous are released. Demons scowl at his name. He is commander of the wind and the storm. He is the commander over the over demonic forces and spiritual forces in the world. He is the commander of our bodies. <laughs> he is... The thesis that Mark began with, he is, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And, uh, and Mark is advancing his proposition. So if you will find it untenable or unsupportable or unreasonable or unscientific. But this, I want you to understand what Mark says. And Mark is advancing a program of proving that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That is the language. That is the language used in the beginning of Mark. And so when we come to Son language here, where Christ describes and starts talking about the Son, who's rejected, he knows he is talking about himself. And Mark means you to see that. We're advancing this idea of the authority of God. He's been on a collision course, though, with The religious leaders the whole time and now things are being heightened things begin to, the the, the pitch of resistance and difficulty begins to increase and they start testing him they start coming after him with a a vengeance they start in on him because as we just saw he triumphantly entered Jerusalem with acclamation and with support and praise okay, it's a big deal and then he cleared out the temple. With a whip uh, made of his own hands in anger, he started talking about this marvelous temple as if it was his own house. Like it was his own living room. Like it was his own home. And he scourges, and he, and he winds up setting a fairly well-established well way for the religious leaders to make And as they say right now, I remember this in the South, that uh, he went from preaching to meddling. You heard that expression? That preacher has gone from preaching to meddling, which means putting his fingers in your affairs. And of course, uh, once the spigot, once the source of income for the religious elite and civil leaders was being threatened, what do they do? They come, to, they come to figure out how Christ claims to have this much authority. It's, it's almost kind of ironic, a little bit kind of mysterious. They have not, have they bothered to investigate? Winds and waves obey him. They could have interviewed people whose very daughters and sons were raised from, dead, from death. Lepers, uh, the blind, it's been done, done in, it wasn't done in a corner. It's been done everywhere. But then he started messing with the spigot. <coughs> And let's face it, religion's a cash cow. He started messing with the money. And they come out and force all the groups that comprise the Sanhedrin or the ruling religious political elite. Let's meet them here. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple the chief priests and the scribes and the elders they're all out. came to him and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things or who gave you authority to do them? Jesus said to them, well, I'll ask you one question. Uh, answer me. If I will tell you and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. So, Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Well, why then did you not believe him? If we shall say from man, they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to speak to them in parables, a man planted a vineyard and put a fence around, dug a pit for the vine vine press, and built a tower, and leased it to the tenants, and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him, sent him away empty handed. Again, he, he sent them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And then he sent another, and they and they killed. And so, with many others, some they beat, some they killed. He says, Still so one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But these tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Let's pray. I earnestly seek from you Father, authority to teach and preach these things. Uh, I seek it from you, uh, uh, power that comes only from the Holy Spirit. If you are, if this claim, this supernatural claim, uh, is that, that Jesus is your son, the son of, your son is the son of God, then um, it only makes sense that we will, we will need spiritual Help, supernatural help to, to see it, perceive it, understand it, and respond to it. And so we, we admit that. I admit it first as the preacher, as the speaker, as the one who stands stands in front. But we all have the same need, the same depth of need. We need you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, I am making the, the claim here that uh, uh, I'm... I'm kind of working with what Mark's doing here, the thesis. Um, so I'm toying with how to play with this. Um, I particularly, wasn't particularly interested in teaching on this this morning. I was complaining to Deepak about it. I was like, I was like, yeah, I don't know. Christ's authority, but something changed between uh, then and now. And sometimes I need that. Uh, uh, sometimes I need God to, in a sense, speak something new to me, uh, something on the new and the fresh to, to, for, my, for me to get it because I'm just like these religious leaders and in so many ways. I'm looking, well, well what will please people? What's gonna make people think you're a good preacher? Things like, you know, like it's, it's amazing to me how this story begins to indict me as playing the religious game. Like so quickly, so quickly. Even as my heart's kind of unearthed and I can see this and, 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 I'm, and I'm trying to say, well, what's the point? Where are we going with this? It just, it became more, it became more, it, the richness of it just hit me. And, and it, what really hit me was how legitimate, how legitimate a, a question this is. And so it, the question is legitimacy. How can you trust Christ's authority? Who gave you this authority? Where do you come from? What are you doing? Now I'm maintaining that they have not, they've been ignoring all the other evidence, et and We're going to see something that happens right here. Right here in their hearts. But it's really clever the way that the text is constructed. Um, take a look here. It begins with the, the, the task they, they ask him, by what authority. And Christ does. Christ honors their question by the counter question. And this is a rabbinic tradition. You ask me a question, I ask you another question. And together, we can, it's very Socratic. We can explore and we'll come to truth uh, in a deep way together, back and forth. But uh, he's, they're asking, by what authority do you do this? And then Christ points to John the Baptist. Now, that's very clever. Who announced that Jesus was coming? John the Baptist. That's his role. You may not know who he was, but he is this herald who comes and announces. And they loved to hear him. They went out to hear him in mass. He was a great preacher. And people loved to hear him. And they... And the people, he was a darling of the people. So, um, so Christ says, "Okay, what do you do with him?" Now, that was my herald, pointing back to him. And what Christ does, in a sense, you ask me how I have authority. What's he? What's the counter test? What's the counter test? Um, it's beautiful. It? Prove you have authority. It's like prove it. Well, all right, okay. You want. You want to know but well then prove to me, exercise your authority then in your insight as leaders. And what do these leaders do? And he tells us what their interior reasoning is. Are they bound to either conscience or truth? Are they bound to conscience in their hearts or to any truth of the matter to establish the veracity of the claims or accuracy or do the background checks? No. What do they do? And this is what I was poking fun of myself about a second ago. What do they do? They become immediate pragmatists. What's going to work? What's going to work? If we say it was John, if we say it's from John, we're embarrassed. If it's from God, God's John's authority. And if we say it wasn't, then we're not popular. What's the nature, what's the foundation of their authority? What's the foundation of their authority there? People. Manip- huh? People. Yeah, people's manipulation. Manipulation, manipulation, and power. It's all about them having that kind of control. It's, it's a brilliant move on his part because he exposes them. And then he goes a step further, I think in a loving way. He goes a step further and he plunders Isaiah 57. And he goes right into Isaiah 57. Isaiah 57 is about God <laughs> taking a vineyard <laughs> with a tower and one in looking for fruit and not finding it. And he goes right to what they'll understand. And right, in fact, the uh, image of the vineyard is an image of, of the of the, church, of the people of God was so powerful. It was even on the coinage. It was a, it was a cluster of grapes. It was like, that's how powerful is Maccabean coinage. That's how powerful this entire theme is in their entire culture. They are the vineyard. They are, the, they are God's vineyard. They know what he's talking about. And then Christ, uh, Christ exposes them in this wonderful tete-a-tete back and forth. Um, but what is the real question? Uh, it seems to me it's not a question just for the ancients or for this religious community. Um, it's, if you could really, uh, you're not the boss of me. How many of you, did anybody, this is a classic arbitration question between siblings, right? It really is, it's one of the big ones. And it's one of the big challenges that happens in the interior politics of a large family. You are not the boss of me. You are not. I remember um, it was very, very important when mom and dad went out, uh, when I was the oldest of six kids, that there was a clear transfer of authority. Do you ever do this when you had to babysit? And I would tell my mom and dad, say, tell them I'm in charge. (laughs) And then, of course, there would be a complaint. Don't put him in charge. He beats us. And tortures us. Well, if you if you ask them, it's worse than that. So uh, they all have stories about that. But but there was this clear. It was interesting. We're constantly trying to org chart everything as kids, trying to figure out who has authority and who do you go to to get things done. And it's exactly what they do to Jesus. Where's your org chart? How do you get in here? How did you get into our org chart in our structure to tell us what to do in our temple? This is our turf. Who are you you're not the boss of me or here's another one where this is a very popular attitude in our culture it's where i think this really starts hitting cash bottom cash cash money for us because we really do have a problem with authority uh, you're not the boss of me who died and left you in charge does anybody does anybody also these are some common expressions who died and made you boss who died and made you boss you're not the boss of me or you don't get to tell me what to do and I um, want you hear something here. It's one, really kind of wonderful in a sense why this is such an important text for us. <laughs> when Jesus comes with this regal authority as the Son of God, um, it's, it's all out there. Christ doesn't have an appeal to authority. Christ is authority. <laughs> he doesn't have an authority standard. He is authority. He commands the world with isn't, you chill. death and demons. There's almost a kind of comedy in the story. A little comedy. Hey, who are you? Who do you think you are? What are we supposed to know in a sense as readers now who know jesus and know the whole story what are we supposed to know we know the real story right we know what have they done in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god and in the beginning nothing that has been made or nothing that has been made was made without him right he is is the pure agency of creation Hebrews 1, he upholds the world by, by his power of his will. And there's almost a certain kind of comic irreverence which he is terribly respectful of, isn't he? He's, he's willing to turn around and engage and tell them how they're out of step with the whole history of his unfolding power. He is, makes a claim that since the beginning, since the beginning of all things, the. He starts using this illustration that the vineyard. So he's, when he says that he's identifying himself as the son, he made a vineyard. I'm the creator's son. I'm the one who made. I am the one who sent. I'm the one who owns. I, this is my place. Um, and there's this there's just terrible, like, clumsiness that these men have. Even the, his disciples have it, don't they? We're all bumping into each other, never recognizing the grandeur and authority and power and glory of Jesus. I think religious institutions in the church has, is bumping into Jesus like this all the time. I think we do sometimes too. We think or we imagine. That's what the text does. Is it we have a we have a place where we have, in a sense, wanted at times because of what we didn't get, or because how we want authority over our body, we want authority over our own money, we want authority over our own. T- you can't tell me to do with my body or my time or my money what to do. And then, uh, and we're and we're we have the sovereignty. But we're kings, we're on authority, and uh, we just. We don't see see Jesus. But this is what's so telling about this. Um, And our rejection of God and his authority, I'm going to say this morning, is just like theirs. It's a rejection based on us being able, wanting to do what we want to do. It has no conscience, and it has no truth. It's, I just want to do what I want to do with my body do what I want to do with my money. I will do what I want to do with my time. And you can tell me no different. Um, and I, you, the image I want to give you of Jesus today, the image I'm compelled to give you and that's here in the scriptures in Mark is of a grandeur that will not compromise with you and will not, will not compromise who he is as creator, sustainer, redeemer, and friend. He just won't do it. It is toe-to-toe with you on this. Um, it, make no mistake, where's the first place the demonic shows up in Mark? Does anybody know where the demonic first shows up with Jesus? In the synagogue. Where's demonic power and demonic threat and rebellion the most ripe in the church I mean my community in San Francisco doesn't even know who Christ is let alone who his kingly authority is what I I, I may be dismayed by that at times or broken hearted but honestly, this parable isn't against them, and Christ's claims don't really don't really confront them. You know that, You know who is out of sync with the authority of Christ? The church. In what ways? Uh, every way I can think of. I uh, so come My thought is is if I can more and more clearly present to you Christ as glorified, risen, king, savior, that you will, you will uh, repent, right? You'll give out the toe-to-toe with your body, your life, your money, and your time, your heart. You'll give in to his authority. What kind of authority is it? What kind of authority does Christ wield? What is his authority so far in the scriptures? He comes with divine authority here. He is the one who makes the vineyard, the son of the one who makes the vineyard, knowns it, prophetic authority. Did you notice the succession, by the way? Christ is very, very wise here. He sets up a succession of people who came before, emissaries. What's he painting a picture of there in this one little story? The entire Old Testament. Who's he talking about? Who's he claiming to be line with and even be greater than? David, yeah, Moses, Elijah, Isaiah, I am greater. I am the Son. I am the last emissary, one sense, of the love of the Father, the owner of the vineyard. I am the last one to come. I am greater than all that's gone before. And he lines up and he affirms that his continuity, his advancement of the program of redemption, the ongoing work of God in history, and even the revelation of the scripture itself. He's saying that's who I am. He's making this wonderful claim toe-to-toe with them. So my goal today in in some sense is to somehow present to you Christ his risen glorified authority so that you will bow down and worship. So that image of his power will become what you trust and what you will surrender to. How does he exercise his authority? Does does anybody remember the first time Christ's authority is challenged in, in Mark what it's about? Son, your sins are forgiven. Son, your sins are forgiven. By what authority? First thing i say. well, what what authority? So I wanted to go toe-to-toe with you. Go toe-to-toe with you, uh, McLaren, let's say, as a one who wants to determine himself. And say Christ's authority challenges you. But what's the first place, the surprise challenge that comes? Um, you can't save yourself. Christ says, I will save in love. I have authority to declare the forgiveness of sin. I have an authority that's given to me granted because of my blood on the cross and my status as the son and in the glory that I've received from from my father. He is claiming first, what's his first use of authority? To rescue, to rescue those who are being haunted and hunted by the demonic and the physical and physical death and even the torment of guilt. And what's he doing? What's the purpose and place and the work and exercise of his authority? It is the authority of loving forgiveness and transformation for those who trust in him. He is, isn't that a wonderful twist? (laughs) It's like, it's like you come to Christ waiting for the whip, waiting for the, waiting for the fight, waiting for it. And he's only really interested in fighting those, though, who will not submit to what? The freedom of his grace and the abundance of his love. That's why the market in the temple is an offense to the cross. The temple is his body. We are his temple as his body now. And we are the place where forgiveness and love reign, not where manipulation and a spigot of cash money for the kingdom. Um, it's like, uh, maybe, maybe. Look, we all have different encounters with authority in our lives, and the way it kind of hits us. Like for me, um, my, the damage done by my father was was that authority meant a raised hand. Authority was a hand about to hit you. Right? It was the it was the use of of um, violence and anger and punishment. And I I always kind of look at Jesus that way. Or God, I'm I'm expecting that, right? I'm expecting that as a sinner. Um, How does Christ exercise his authority with sinners to declare forgiveness? (laughs) Now, how does he exercise his authority with the self-righteous, the religion mongers, want to use religion as an advancement for power and manipulation and control. What does he do there? He starts throwing tables. (laughs) It's gorgeous. For those who want power, he is more powerful than them. (laughs) And for those who give up their power, he surrenders all. He uses his authority to what? To set you free. (laughs) to say free free from the law of sin and death and judgment and it's just glorious to watch this savior work what does this mean now I was thinking about how this question of authority the first place is I come from toe to toe is to call you to submit your heart and life first to the grace of Jesus Christ <laughs> and to stop the manipulative games of authority to figure out how you can get what you want or how you can please people and you're all under authority of some sort and if you, look, if you tell me what controls how you, what you do with your body and what you do with your time and what you do with your money, I'll tell you what authority you're under. Some of us live under the authority of other people's opinions, right? So what do we do with our body? What do we do with our money? What do we do with our time? What other people will think well of us about. We're just like this. Let's just like this, those religious men. We're just like them. What's another thing we do? Uh, pleasure. Pleasure is one of the strong ones, right? Whatever maximizes my Experience of pleasure. Pure hedonism. Just look at your checkbook. Look at your schedule. Look at what you want to do with your body. But it's all told right there. Maybe your law is yourself and your authority is yourself or others or your own joy. There's A lot of masters to serve, but you've got to serve somebody. There's a lot of masters serve, uh, to serve. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Who is it? It may be the devil or it may be the Lord. She's going to have to serve somebody. I hope somebody in the room got that reference. Anyway, um, Bob Dylan. Uh, uh, So Christ comes to confront us in the things we obey. What else do we have to do with this? first thing I want to do is challenge you. The second I want to do is call you to submit to his forgiveness. But I want to capture something here. And something that's really occurred to me for our our place here in San Francisco. Um, Everybody's afraid to talk with authority. By the way, I think some of the present political climate, some of the success of of uh, some candidates in our, our generation was because they started talking like nobody else talks in our time. They started talking with authority. Doesn't matter what they said was true or not, right? Doesn't, that, that doesn't matter. But when you start speaking with more and more authority, I don't care where you are on any political issue or any certainty and authority and you know, just kind of stridently talking about what you think is true, can win the day, can't it? It just kind of wins the day. Um, when I first came here to uh, San Francisco, I didn't on the website have what our denominational affiliation was. But I didn't want to make any commitments before I got here because I wasn't sure like what what would it look like to for people to know we're PCAs. Like, like, is there a problem with that? Like, one of the biggest churches in the city is Southern Baptist, and you can go on their website, you won't find one mention of it anywhere. And this, you actually ask the leadership directly. Now I understand why they're doing that because. They don't want some of the baggage coming from, you know, I guess national activities and stuff like that. I get that. But what occurred to me was more and more how much we need to speak with authority. Like we, it, 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 it's to it's me that I, I need to more clearly preach Christ's authority. Now, there's a couple things that have to happen there, though. I have to, we have to be careful not to dilute that authority. If I proclaim on presidential candidates or if I proclaim about the news or, or, or the problems in San Francisco or about, about uh, visas being blocked and all that, that's not my, I don't have authority there. I don't. I, have a th- I don't have authority. And if I speak about things that Christ doesn't speak about, I don't have a right to talk about them with authority. I give my opinion. It's just as valuable as shells, and that's not worth much. <laughs> so, you know, what do we got? We were just I got an opinion. Why do I have to be so careful about that? Because I need to be able to look McLaren in the eye and say, thus saith the Lord, when the Lord says it, right? And when he comes to me with a guilty conscience, I need to be able to say, when he confesses his sin, thus saith the Lord, What? Your sins are forgiven. And I need to be able to say, Peter, if he's not being kind to his wife, what? Thus saith the Lord, you must love your wife. You must must love her like Christ loved the church. And I need to be willing, I need to be able and bold to where I am declared to be saying something to be so, that it is absolutely so. And I can unflinchingly claim the authority, the majesty, the splendor, the glory of Jesus Christ. And I can push it ever more loudly. Push it ever more clearly. He is the king who has rule. Absolute rule over our sexuality, over our finances, over our lives, over our budgets, over our very commitments. How dare you come to him and try to negotiate how much you're going to give or not give or believe or not believe. Oh please, I need to be able to talk like that. But if I take... Any of my authority and declare on something I don't have that kind of authority at, all my authority gets diluted. Does that make sense? I dilute. Because I've been sent as an emissary to announce the coming of a king. Who has laid his rights over even your guilt. <laughs> and, and, and I'm here to proclaim to, to with great authority the forgiveness of sins. What a wonderful joy. And great authority that the call to repent and to give up your negotiating and your manipulating and you're, your desire to use Jesus to get somewhere, to play the religious game, and or to turn on the spigot, to get what you want out of God, or whatever it is you want to do when you kind of test him. To know he has come in history. He has come in space and time. He came in a succession. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. I want, I want that brass ring to be able to say, thus saith the Lord. And never back down. So, it seems to me there's a, a new call to us. And I'm thinking about this as a church. Is to find the places, the points at which, the, the touch points and, and the claims that we know we can unabashedly make. Jesus came in the world to, to, to save sinners. The worse, the better. We can, we, can, we can make claims and we can do things and we can, we can say things and we can say, we can say things about sexuality. We can say things and not be ashamed. Not be afraid of the court of public opinion. Not be afraid of the pundits. But never forgetting... That we are we are called. And we're going to do it. I'm going to do it in communion right now. We are called to stand up against the self-righteous and for the wretched, not for the advancement of our rights. Kind um, of wrapping up. I. I am. Um, There's always this, this moment in the Gospels that I think is absurd. I call it the absurd moment. The absurd moment, and they happen over and over again. Deepak, could you stand up for a second and be Jesus for me? Come on, stand up and be Jesus. Let me see if you be Jesus. Uh, Jesus was probably closer in skin tone to Deepak than me, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, this is what it was like. This is Peter and Jesus and was talking and stuff like that. And uh, and I'm panicked and I'm asking, who's going to, who, what's going to happen if we ran out of, we ran out of bread again? And do we didn't bring. Are you upset that we didn't bring bread? And Jesus is staying there. And what has Jesus just done? What has he done repeatedly with five thousand people over and over again? at any time when there seemed to be some sort of need in the middle of nowhere. Check the basket. Yeah, check the basket. He sent everybody. Now get this, though. It's always like this, though. It's always like they're sitting next to each other. And there's this absurd moment where Jesus is doing miracles, (laughs) establishing an authority beyond space and time. And the disciples are just going, yeah, Jesus, what's going on? It's like they have no understanding. This is absurd. They never recognize. And you never. Yeah, you're not a good example. Uh, of the the divine Uh, never recognizing how immediate it was It's it's, it's, it's there all the time in the Bible it's an absurd moment where they're there next to he whom the worlds were brought into being sons from eternity galaxies burn because of his words the heck is this? I mean, <laughs> crown him with many crowns. Death cannot hold him. Sin is, sin is erased because of his blood. His blood is more precious than gold. And knowing him is transformation. Who is it? And there's this absurd moment where they don't get it. In fact, sometimes the gospel to me seems like a series of absurd moments. Isn't your life kind of like that? Where you've been bumping into God's answers to prayer. The wonders that he loves you and forgives you his rejection of religious games his grandeur and we're kind of like i think if we really get close to christ some of the absurdity of how we live our lives and how we don't recognize him in his glory can become apparent to us and when we begin to see it we will be transformed then we'll see him as he is we'll see him as he is king of kings lord of lords there is no other name under heaven by which he shall be saved let's pray father i long for a vision of your son as the king of glory uh (coughs) Forgive us. Forgive us. So, Father, Father, run to forgive us of self-righteousness. I mean, you spoke whole parables against it. We who would, especially in religious matters, um, live around you absurdly as if you weren't the king of kings. Thinking our religion was an opportunity to for it to be right and for other people to be wrong. Instead of the wrong being made right by the love and glory and presence of our Father. We were wrong. We were made right. We we're so wrong. We come to you. I pray for a renewal of our, of a, a renewal of a vision of you in your kingly, prophetic, historic divine authority. I pray for new submission of my body, of my mind, a new submission of my time and heart to the King of Kings. I pray for a new joy and freedom that such a king declared me innocent because of, his, because of the blood of his son. I praise you. I praise you for the authority that's here in the table, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. All authority was given to you on heaven and earth. And that's an authority to say that Chris is forgiven. I praise you. I praise you. Give us new clarity about how to declare your authority clearly, not with shame or embarrassment or with a sense of, reluctance, but because you're a king. I pray, Father, you would help us to bring this absurd, the absurd moment uh, where you as a king are clearly here and you hear, you hear our prayers and we see the kingdom come when nobody would ever ex- expect it. I praise you for, your, for, your, for the Bible and for Jesus, Father. In Jesus' name I come. Amen. on the night oh I never used the blackboard (laughs) I had all these plans Um, on the night he was betrayed our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and broke it saying this is my body which is for you take and eat in the same way he also took a cup of wine He said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. Um, This is wine is on either side of the uh, table. Grape juice is the paler, the paler uh, juice in the back for those who prefer that. Um, We're going to come to the table. I can say with authority that whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup in an unworthy fashion that is, they do not repent, they do not believe, or they, and they think they're a good person. you they think they're a good person, that would be to take this table unworthily. Only sinners are worthy of this table who have turned to Jesus. Now, I say this with authority. If you don't come to this table with faith, you will eat and drink judgment to yourself. The judgment of God. I declare that with authority. But I all equally declare with authority that every sinner whose faith is in Jesus, this is your table. I declare the forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus Christ. That's authority. I put up a fence, exercise that authority one one more clearly, one more time clearly. If you think you're a good person, you are forbidden to come to the table. It's not your table. If you are a skeptic this morning and you think everything I said is a lot of hokum, then watch and be envious of me and uh, my joy in knowing a God who loves me. Why not pray to this God? See what happens. I have their prayers printed in the back for those who who need help with uh, any issues. All right, so let's do this now. We're going to do the Nicene Creed. And we're going to, are, are, are children coming back down? or Yeah, they went to get them? Um, we're going to have somebody here to bless the children this morning. And I'm going to ask somebody to do that. Who would like to bless kids today and pray for them? How could you guys say no to this? Can, why aren't people jumping up to do this? Um, why aren't people eager? Um, uh, let's, uh, Johnny and Rochelle, your own spot. Sorry, Rochelle. I know you're looking down, so I wouldn't pick you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> don't don't ever look down. That's always a real clue to me to to to, 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 to out. So they'll be up here to pray uh, with kids as kids come forward. And let's come. We're going to come as we uh, after we cite, recite the Nicene Creed, and um, and then we will um, um, sing a song and come forward to get the elements and come back to your seats. After the song we will we'll take, will partake. So, uh, John and Rochelle are up here to pray with children who are visiting and pray for blessing on them. Here they are. Here they all come.